This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. All right, welcome back. 403-974-8255, 974-TALK. A lot more still to come here on the program today, including your phone calls and your texts. Well, let's turn the conversation to what remains an incredibly controversial topic here in Alberta, that being the idea of taxing carbon. The carbon levy, I guess, as the Alberta government likes to call it. Uh, certainly polls show that it's a highly unpopular policy. But at the same time, is there really any other option than taxing carbon? I mean, I guess there's the option of doing nothing. But is that sustainable? And is regulation, is that side of it really any preferable? Obviously, the way the New Democrats have designed a carbon tax is not the only way that it can be done. But I guess what is it we're trying to achieve? Uh, a new paper out this week from the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, part of their energy series, uh, looks at what it describes as the inescapability of carbon taxes. That it's going to happen one way or, the, one way or another. And maybe the best response is to ensure that we're smart in designing this kind of policy. So joining us on the line to talk more about it is the author of this paper. Dennis McConaughey is a former executive vice president of corporate development at TransCanada Corporation. Uh, previously was executive VP for pipeline strategy and development. He's also got a book out called Dysfunction, Canada After Keystone XL. Dennis, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Well, certainly there are a lot of politicians, provincially, federally, who are vowing to to scrap federal and provincial carbon taxes. So why do you argue that this kind of policy is inevitable? Well, if you're going to scrap carbon taxes, then it begs the question of what kind of carbon policy are you going to have? And you basically cited the two options. You can basically deny carbon as an issue, as a risk. And I don't believe that that is a fundamentally sustainable position. The rest of the world... Notwithstanding, notwithstanding Donald Trump, is still going to ask uh, and have some expectation that Canada has a credible and proportionate carbon policy. Secondly, carbon policy as regulation would be much more punitive, much more expensive, and would be economically very damaging. And anyone who looks at the basic facts and circumstances of Alberta, this is still an economy that is overwhelmingly levered to the petroleum industry. The prospects of the petroleum industry, the capacity for it to grow uh, over time is, is really what is still the heart of this economy. And even, you know, Rachel Notley recognized that to the extent that she became a supporter of incremental pipeline capacity. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if you're going to have a growing hydrocarbon industry, you are likely to be a growing carbon emitter. So how do you ever square the circle then for Alberta about being credible on carbon? Uh, while at the same time being physically a growing carbon emitter because you really can't afford not to produce oil if you're going to sustain this province economically. And so that takes you to the notion that carbon taxes at least say to the rest of the world, and not, and for that matter, actually, uh, many federal politicians, including our prime minister, that by actually pricing emitted carbon in this province, it ex- it, it recognizes economically that there are some unaccounted for costs related to carbon emissions, that Alberta has pegged it at a level that is probably as stringent as virtually any other jurisdiction that is um, that Canada trades with, and, and that it really allows this industry to uh, continue on terms that we would all want it to. Because otherwise, if you're going to have more restrictive uh, 
regulation, you could have absolute uh, expectations of contracting growth in this industry, or even worse, contracting existing production. So, I mean, when people look at the circumstances, are you, is it viable to be a carbon denier? I don't think so. Is regulation a preferred uh, uh, alternative for Alberta? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think either in trying to invoke technological breakthrough is, is necessarily credible either, because there are some fundamental limitations about um, you know, oil production processes in this province that you know, would tell anybody if you're going to grow production, you're going to grow emissions. So carbon taxes provide credibility, and they do it at actually reasonable cost. So mm-hmm. that, that's really the argument that we have to expect that our political leadership has enough sophistication to actually get and, and communicate to the general public that this tax um, should be implemented on better terms than the Notley government is doing, but we do need some form of carbon taxes. Well, yeah, we can get into that point about how not all carbon taxes are created equally, but I mean, the, the way it's framed, I think it comes across to people maybe is it's almost a, a PR exercise that we're doing it to impress the rest of the world. And I mean, some might argue that right now we have an American president who doesn't seem all that impressed by such things, but is, is that what it is? Well, let's recognize, let's wait and see what this American president actually does in respect of carbon taxes, because he has to find some incremental revenue to pay for his tax reform that he so desperately wants to do. And we know today that they're actually considering carbon taxes as one of the sources of incremental revenue. So let's just wait and see what the next few months bring with respect to Donald Trump on carbon taxes. But the, the but, but I would actually concede to many that there is an aspect of Alberta embracing carbon taxes, and for that matter, Canada, that is saying to the rest of the world, we are going to deal with the climate risk really through this tax, and that that tax as a policy instrument is as credible as the alternatives of, that some of other countries may resort to of outright regulation, um, because our economy has its unique characteristics that says we uh, view this carbon tax to be the most uh, affordable uh, alternative uh, compared to, as I said before, um, regulation. So, I mean, uh, I agree there's an element of this that is trying to use the words impress the rest of the world. What I would use the term, we're trying to show the rest of the world that our carbon policy has some credibility and some proportionality to our unique circumstances. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it can certainly reasonably be argued that at least within Canada, there was a need for the Alberta government to convince Justin Trudeau that exactly. we were addressing this, right? Absolutely. And we would not, as Albertans, have uh, had gotten the breakthrough that was represented by uh, Trudeau's willingness to support the Kinder Morgan uh, Trans Mountain expansion to the lower mainland of Vancouver, the Enbridge Line 3 um, expansion, and in fact, his unwavering support for revived Keystone XL if we had not had a carbon tax in this province that he himself, I think, has largely used as a template. Now, again, one point I would like to make is that it would have been manifestly preferable if Rachel Notley had made our carbon tax genuinely revenue neutral. Like, the tax she's collected as on carbon emitters should have reduced other taxes payable in this province whereas she's largely choosing to keep it and respend it in selective ways, which many of us would question whether that's going to be the best way of spending that money. So there's lots of debate about how to effect revenue neutrality on a carbon tax, and, and, and that's a point in this 
that I think needs to be remembered because the carbon tax makes it more expensive to emit carbon. Um, on the other hand, that when we collect this tax, uh, if it's revenue neutral, the overall level of tax that Albertans are paying would not be increased. We're just shifting who is paying our overall tax revenue. But so I mean, ideally, yeah. you would have reduced income taxes, reduced uh, corporate taxes, which are taxes that you know tend to tax the productive versus, in this case, the carbon emitters. Is it about internalizing those costs? Well, you know, when you pay a carbon tax, you've increased the cost of emitting carbon, you've increased the cost of using hydrocarbon. So when you are running a business, that higher input cost you do reflect in your economic decision. Likewise, when we as, you know, just individual citizens, when something is more expensive, we generally use less of it. That's one of the aspects of carbon taxes that help uh, over time uh, uh, reduce emissions. Uh, so th- there is that component of uh, how the whole point of a carbon tax is supposed to work. Uh, and, and, and that is, is absolutely, uh, you know, a legitimate element of it. But a point that I always emphasize is that the carbon tax itself needed to be implemented on a genuinely revenue-neutral basis. And, and that would have helped, I think, Albertans accept it better than the circumstances they now find themselves um, confronting, which is really the carbon tax is substantially an incremental tax. So our overall tax burden has gone up, and that's why it's had, I think, uh, some additional controversy related to it. Well, I mean, you mentioned the fact that it's not revenue neutral. That's been controversial, but it also still entails a regulatory approach. I mean, one obvious example is the uh, emissions cap that's imposing on, on the oil sands. So, so, so I, I deeply criticize the yeah. emissions cap. Like, there was no place for that. Like, one emission is no different than another. The, the decision to implement that emissions cap had more to do with, you know, the perceived demands of, you know, the environmental movement in Canada and our premier's decision to placate it. And, and I am a very um, vocal critic of that cap, and it should be removed. Well, I mean, at this point, though, it's, it's weird because I think the Alberta carbon tax helped give Justin Trudeau a reason to say yes to those pipeline projects that yes, you mentioned. But, but once we have a federal price that's uniform across the board, across the country, we don't really need an Alberta carbon tax anymore, do we? Well, I think it is important for Albertans to remember this point. Uh, Trudeau has, I think, appropriately framed it as a national standard, and he is willing to let the tax be administered provincially. Because keep in mind, if the federal government did all the tax collection, uh, Albertans would be a bigger taxpayer, and if, the res- if that revenue just reduced all federal taxes, um, you know, Albertans would be basically um, uh, changing the mix of who pays the overall federal tax bill. By allowing the tax to be administered provincially, at least we get a situation where the, the, the tax collection helps reduce provincial taxes, both personal income tax, ideally, and, corporate, and provincial corporate taxes. So that's why I think another point to be at least acknowledged that Trudeau has, has framed it not as a national carbon tax, but rather a national pricing standard, yeah. which lets Alberta apply the tax, and use the money to keep our overall tax um, burden revenue neutral. That, that's, I think, a point to be uh, 
acknowledged and give some credit to the Prime Minister for applying it in that form. Well, let's hope it happens that way. Dennis, we'll leave it there. People can uh, find your paper, the rest of the 2017 Energy Series at cgai.ca. It's Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Really appreciate you joining us here today. Thanks for this. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with you. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Dennis McConaughey, formerly with TransCanada Corporation. Uh, and in fact, for a time, was their executive VP on pipeline strategy and development. So he certainly knows that side of it. Uh, and he's uh, authored this piece for the Canadian Global Affairs Institute on what he sees as the inevitability of carbon pricing. Uh, by the way, on top of all of that, he's got a book out now called Dysfunction Canada After Keystone XL. Although, certainly seems like Keystone XL may now happen. 403-974-8255. Quick break here. We've got a few other things to get to before the top of the hour. Stay with us. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.